All right, have a seat if you can. Glory to God. I want to thank the band and the praise team for, and Miss Minister Deanna for just setting the atmosphere. When you do that, it's a lot easier to get before you and, and flow. All right, well, good morning. I'm Minister Johnny Walker. As you can see, I'm not Pastor Joel Gregory. I have the great honor of presenting the word uh, today. Uh, each time I do that and I have an opportunity to stand before you, uh, there are three things that I always do. First, I publicly acknowledge and give thanks unto our senior pastor, Pastor Joel Gregory. Um, I don't take it for granted that I have the opportunity to, to, to speak and preach to his sheep. Um, if we have any first-time visitors in here, I would encourage you to please come back. Well, you can't come back next Sunday because next Sunday we'll have both services at the Marietta Performing Arts Center. Uh, but if you can't make it out to Marietta next Sunday, please come back and he'll be here in the pulpit uh, Sunday after next, which I think would be December the 11th if math treats me right. I can guarantee you this, and I think there's others that would agree with me, that if once you sit under the anointing and the teaching uh, and the preaching of our pastor, uh, it will definitely be a life-changing experience. Hallelujah. Secondly, I always take the opportunity uh, to give thanks unto my wife, uh, Diane, uh, of this pair. Of this pair, she is always the better half. I always say that she is my best rib. She is my prime rib. Put the pep in my step. And lastly, I always want to thank you, especially on today, pressing your way to be here. It's a cold and crisp morning. But thank you for coming out to receive what uh, the Spirit of the Lord would have to say unto you today. There's no reason for me to pray because we've already prayed. So we might as well just go straight into the Word. Now, I will tell you, the Lord gave me a lot that I'm supposed to get out today. I mean, I, I was cutting pages and cutting pages and cutting pages. So I know I have a lot that I want to uh, put before you today. Uh, when the bus leaves the station... It's going to move at a quick pace, so I need you to strap down and hold on. Can you do that for me? Amen. All right. We know that our founding fathers set aside Thanksgiving Day, right, as a day to um, acknowledge the Lord for what he has done basically for America, starting with the pilgrims. But we also use that time to also pray uh, for the world. It's a time set aside for families to love on each other, to come together, hopefully to set aside our differences, uh, to speak and pray to the Lord, have some food, family, fun, and some football, of course, eat some turkey. But it's also really a time to reflect on the overwhelming goodness of God who has been our mainstay, he's been our refuge, 
He's been our strength. He's been our defense. He's been our rock. He's been our comforter. He's been our counselor, our standby, our strengthener, our advocate. He's been our intercessor. And he also has been our first true love. He loved us before we ever even knew to love our own selves. So, thank God for November the 24th, but Thanksgiving for us should be from January the 1st to December the 31st. Please turn with me in your Bibles or your, on your smart uh, devices to Revelation chapter 7. I'm going to come down. I feel better on the floor. Revelation chapter 7. And while you're going there, I want to quickly tell you uh, a quick story. My wife had predetermined that she was not going to cook Thanksgiving dinner, which is okay with me because it's only she and I this year. And, but thank God that the spirit hit her, and a few days before Turkey Day, she changed her mind. And that girl, now my wife is a country girl. Y'all know that. She's from Arkansas. She know her way around the kitchen. And that girl cooked a meal, I'm telling you. We pulled it out the night before. We actually had Thanksgiving dinner before Thanksgiving. I will tell you that right now. She pulled that turkey out, and that turkey was succulent, meat falling off the bones. The turkey looking at me, and I'm looking at the turkey, and I'm saying, gobble, gobble, gobble. That bad boy was good. That bad boy was good. So later I'm going to show you how I give Thanksgiving to the love of my life. All right. So let me give you the title of my message. The title of my message today is Thanksgiving should be thanks living. Thanksgiving should be thanks living. How you doing, Mr. Russell? All right. So you in Revelation 7 yet? Okay. We'll be reading verses 11 through 12. And I'll be reading the King James Version all uh, through the sermon. And it reads, And all the angels stood around about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God. Then verse 12 says, saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. That's a lot of ands. You know, when God gives you that many ands, he's really trying to get a point over to us, right? He's stressing something to us. So let's break that uh, down pretty quickly. Verse 11, notice that all beings, spiritual and moral and the beast, fell on their faces before the awesome presence of our God. Both angels who, who are spiritual beings, so they never sinned, basically, right? And then the men who were born, us who were born of sin, all bowed down before God and, of course, our Lord Jesus. They humbled themselves, and they worshiped God, and they worshiped our Lord. It was their way of giving, showing thanks, right? An expression of thanksgiving. Verse 12. Well, let me back up. You know, scripture tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess Jesus is Lord and Savior to, uh, to the glory of God the Father. So they're actually doing what scripture says, which is what we should do as well. Verse 12. Now, verse 12 is comprised of what I would call a ninefold ascription to God. 
Now, this collection of words essentially magnifies the essence, uh, the fiber, uh, the being, uh, the very fabric of God himself. First, it says, amen. Right? Yes, so be it. Praise our God for the following actions which make him worthy of the praise. What actions? Blessing. He deserves our best blessings. He gives us blessings. Glory. We praise. We give praise unto the Father. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one in three, three in one. Wisdom. We know that God is wisdom and God gives wisdom. Out of his mouth is knowledge and instruction. Thanksgiving. We should always offer up a sacrifice of praise unto our Lord. Honor. We know honor is due unto his name. Power. Omnipotence. We know that the Lord God reigns. Might. He is strength. He is strong. And we know that also the Lamb is worthy. And the last one was the last amen. So be it. We believe it. What do we believe? Well, we believe everything that I just said before about our God. And we also believe because he is who he say he is, that we have eternal life. Right? Do you believe that? Now, we have eternal life not because of of our pitiful sacrifices, hmm? Uh, not because of, of our selfish works, but because God granted salvation unto us and because of the redemptive work on the cross by Jesus Christ, right? Now, salvation does not belong to us. It is a gift from God. He is the originator. He is the source of salvation. Aren't you glad that he decided to give it to us as a gift? So we should always be thankful. Matter of fact, Thanksgiving to me is, when I think of Thanksgiving, I think of a a triple play, let me say that. Thanksgiving is recognition, Thanksgiving is appreciation, and Thanksgiving is acknowledgement for not only who God is, but what he continues to do on our behalf. Hallelujah. So we should always be thankful. And being thankful reminds us that God is in control. It takes the focus off of us and our little Mickey Mouse issues and momentary problems because we then see a bigger perspective. We see the big picture. We see the God picture. Hallelujah. Now, as we said earlier, or as we actually were praying, and it came to me by the Spirit, that we are the children of the Most High God. Amen? And we know also that we have been, according to Ephesians 3, 1, we know that we have been blessed with spiritual blessings. Have been, that is, past tense. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, so that was, my, that was just my introduction. So now let me get to the body of my message. So as I move into the body of my sermon, I'm going to give you three points. I do everything in threes. One for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you three points on why I think thanksgiving should be thanksgiving. Okay? Point number one. Thanksgiving is an attitude of action. An attitude of action. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
And, and this is going to be a familiar piece of Scripture. I'm going to give you some familiar Scripture and passages as we go through the sermon, but the idea is that you're going to get different revelation than you've seen and heard before. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm reading verses 16 through 18, and it reads, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, did I just read, in everything give thanks? That's what the word says, right? In everything. Thanksgiving is defined uh, as an expression of gratitude to men, but especially an expression of gratitude to God. In our Christianese lingo, we would say it this way, always have an attitude of gratitude. Now, notice I'm saying I'm coupling attitude and gratitude. I'm not saying at this point just have uh, an attitude, right? And I'm doing that because I'm accentuating the positive. Attitudes of gratitude should always be synonymous with action. Hmm? You have to open up your mouth and say, I thank you. You know, it's just like saying, I love you. Some people have a problem saying it for some reason. And some people have a problem saying, I thank you. You have to give of yourself demonstrating tangible ways of gratitude. Now, all giving does not necessarily mean that you have to spend money or purchase gifts. You could simply give your time. May not sound like a lot to some people in here. Go visit somebody in the hospital. Go sit in the senior citizen's home. To them, your personal time is more precious than gold. Speaking of gold, think about the baby Jesus. The wise men uh, brought three things, basically. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? right? Now, gold was only one-third of the package. The frankincense, sometimes say, people say incense, but the frankincense was basically a a component that was used to make this special perfume back in, in that time. The myrrh, strangely as it sounds, the myrrh was considered uh, uh, an aromatic resin that was used to embalm bodies. Now, that is something that makes you go, yeah, that's what I thought. So attitude and gratitude without corresponding action, demonstrating thanks, is like faith without works, which is? And works without faith is? Dead. Uh, did I stump you on that one? <laughs> well, if one without the other is dead, then the other one without the other would be dead. Okay? So I'm giving you a clue. So let's try this. An attitude of gratitude without thanksgiving is? So thanksgiving without an attitude of gratitude is, there you go. It's just like uh, neither is complete without the other, right, within itself. It's just like uh, uh, fuel and fire. You can't have one without the other. Fuel without fire is just a wet puddle. Fire without fuel is something that cannot sustain itself. It just fizzles out right? You need both to complement each other. One in turn triggers the action, and the action is fire. 
It's like me and, and, and Miss Walker here. We both needy. We both complement each other, right? One without the up. Well, I can't say that. Uh, let me put it like this. There's fire and there's action. Let me leave that alone. <laughs> I'm going to put a slide up real quick. Uh, and I know sometimes between the time they begin to put the slide up and the time you see it, uh, because of the technology here, it's not as quick uh, as we would like. So as they're putting the slide up, I'm going to talk you through it. If you take the letters of the alphabet, oh, that was quick, A through Z, and you give them corresponding numbers, 1 through 26. A equals 1, B equals 2, C equals 3, D equals 4, E equals 5, all the way up to the letter Z, which equals 26. And you take the word knowledge and you add up the corresponding numbers to the letters. That would give you 96%. If you take the word hard work and add up the corresponding numbers, that gets you to 98%. So what is the defining difference? I beg to tell you that I believe it is our attitude. We always are, are setting goals for ourselves, be it health goals, be it financial goals, uh, be it spiritual goals, we're always setting goals. We just finished financial peace uh, not too long ago. And everyone in the financial peace is setting goals to get them to the point where they can eventually be debt free. So we're setting these goals. And when we set a goal, our intention is to achieve it 100%, right? Plan the work and work the plan. If that was the case, if you only want to do 50%, why even set the goal? If you take knowledge, for example, and you have a, a bad attitude, you're in class. I would dare to tell you that a, a bad attitude and a good attitude could be the difference between a C and an A. If you're a hard-working man with a bad attitude, you're always complaining about the boss. Right? You don't want to be there doing the work, but you signed up to be employed by that company you're giving God nothing to work with. Well, I, tell, I, I would dare say that an eight-hour day to you may feel like a 10-hour day. But if you're a hard-working man and you're working with a smile and you're complimenting the team and you're pulling your fair share, you're giving God something to work with. Hmm? He might even give you one of those God ideals. So all of a sudden, that hard work becomes you working smarter. So to you, before you know it, man, it's time to go home. Eight hours to you may feel like six hours. Come on now. So attitude in reality is everything. Now, before I told you that I would actually um, show you how I give thanksgiving to my wife and for that great meal she cooked and for other things, but this is how I show her thanksgiving. The next slide, please. And the next slide. <laughs> she says, show me the money. Don't buy me nothing. Okay, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to verse 15. I got to start moving this bus a little faster. And it reads, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips 
giving thanks to his name. So it beckons the question, what actually is the fruit of our lips? So let's look at another scripture to talk about some fruit. Go to Matthew 12, verse 33. Matthew 12, verse 33. And it reads, Either make the tree good or his fruit, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. You know, out of our mouths, then that, mean, that tells me that we produce two kinds of fruit. Good fruit and corrupt or bad fruit. Good fruit is fruit, words, actions that are edifying, that show thanks, and that are uplifting. Corrupt fruit or bad fruit words or actions that actually destroy show unthankfulness, ungratefulness, and can be debilitating. Make the tree either good or make the tree either bad. The corruption or goodness of an individual uh, that's inside of all of us or a person cannot help but to manifest itself sooner or later. Now, some people can put on some masks and try to cover and try to hide But sooner or later, in words or deeds or actions, you'll see the real person, right? You can only fake the funk for so long. God said, I commanded light to come out of the darkness. Hmm? So sooner or later, the true you will show. And then all will see, well, are you committed to God or are you committed to yourself? Shakespeare said it this way. In Hamlet, this above all, to thine own self, be true. What type of tree are you? What type of fruit are you producing? Are you a wholesome tree? Or are you a tree just full of holes? Is your fruit pleasant to the eyes? Are you speaking words that constantly are, is a, is about, are about complaining, demoralizing, deflating? Or are you continually speaking words that are praising, uh, words that, that elevate, words that enrich? What type of fruit are you producing? The tongue... In the lips, I'll throw them there too. All three are small members, but in them lie unlimited power. Through them, nations war against nations. People fight against people. We know in these last days that we're having wars and rumors of wars, right? So how do you spread rumors? In these three members lie the fate utterly of mankind and to some extent the fate of the kingdom of God. Remember back in the garden, the snake used words deceptively, used trickery, used it treacherously. 
in talking to Eve. Think about this. Everybody knows friends, family members that haven't spoken to each other in years because of something somebody said. Somebody got offended. Proverbs 18, 19 says, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And the, the, the contention are like bars of a castle. Glory to God. So let's flip the script. We have to train our vocal facilities to be like Jesus. Jesus always gave thanks. Jesus always gave thanks to the Father. His very DNA was thanksgiving. He only spoke what the Father told him to speak. He only spoke when the Father told him to speak. In the season, the Father told him to say it. Now, I'm preaching to you, but I'm also preaching to myself. I'm the man in this mirror right now. We need the tongue to line up with the will of God. The tongue also can produce good fruit. We can achieve salvation without our vocal faculties, right? We have to confess with our mouth that Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord, Master, and Savior. Believe in our heart, but we have to confess with We have to say it with our mouth. How could we ever repent if we don't use these? 1 John 1, 9. I know the, the, the uh, altar call team here is, is ready. They're just ready to jump up and tell me, right? 1 John 1, 9, right? You have to confess or acknowledge your sins before God. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you and us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. 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 All right, let me move a little fast. I'm going to point two. My second point is this. Life can be poison-free when you understand the power of the tongue. Life can be poison-free when you understand the power of the tongue. Turn with me to Psalms 52. And as you're turning to Psalms 52, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Psalms 52 was written by David. uh, King Saul sent a spy, uh, uh, Daog the Edomite. And the spy actually betrayed David and David's men because he told King Saul about David's whereabouts. Now, this, this Daog was a, was a cruel brother. You know, uh, uh, back from my country days, pure D evil. Matter of fact, he had an entire city massacred, the city of Nob, N-O-B. Eighty-five priests slain in cold-blooded fashion. So, and, and his motivation was what? What would you think his motivation would be? Money. His motivation was money. For the love of money can truly be the root of all evil. So David wrote the Psalms. Uh, there's, there, there are nine verses in, in uh, Psalms 52. Verses 1 through 7, because David was so disturbed by this evil and wicked man, verses 1 through 7 basically reminds us of the fate of people uh, with evil, wicked, and poisonous tongues. Contrary to that, the last two verses basically describe the destiny of those that speak godly words, those that produce that good fruit we were talking about earlier. 
So I'm going to read a couple of these uh, verses. Verse 1. Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. And then I'm going to give you the Johnny Walker commentary as we go. So David is saying, not only God, but good will always trump evil. Verse 2. The tongue deviseth mischiefs, like a sharp razor working deceitfully. So he's saying, listen here, you speak evil words, and, and, and your, your, your evil words, your tongue is like a razor. It cuts quietly, it cuts quickly, and it cuts deeply. Go down with me to uh, verse 5, because David is going to tell him a little something, something. He says, God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living. Then he says, think about that. Basically, he's saying, you reap what you sow. As you have done unto others, God will surely do unto you. Now, let's get to the last two verses. The good stuff, the good fruit. Verse 8, but I am like a green olive in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. David is saying, and, and, and we should be saying ourselves, we are fresh. And we are continually refreshed because we dwell in the house of the Lord. And because we dwell in the house of the Lord, we know that we will commune with him through eternity. Hallelujah. Verse 9. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it, and I will wait on thy name, for it is good before thy saints. Lord, you have preserved us. You have perfected us. Glory to God. You have manifested yourself in our presence, Daddy. Your words are good. Your fruit is good. Hallelujah. We will wait. We will watch. We will worship. We will praise you. And we will praise your holy name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I got to tell you, giving thanks is one thing. Hmm? But living thanks is a better thing. Hallelujah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you something. And I may have said this before, uh, but if I have, uh, then you just got to listen because I got the mic. Let <laughs> me ask you something. Loose lips sink what? See, everybody knows that slogan. You ever wonder where that slogan came from? During World War II, it was perceived uh, by our military leaders that we had, enemy, we had enemy submarines right off the East Coast and the West Coast. And also, they believed that we had uh, rampant throughout the country active agents, active spies. So the war campaign came up with this slogan, and it has stuck all these years, loose lips sink ships. Now, they said it then because people can't do what? They can't keep their mouths closed. And we know now people can't do what? Can't keep their mouths closed. We cannot control our tongues. Turn with me to James chapter 3. We'll be, ver be reading verses 6 through 9. Anytime you talk about the tongue, you've got to know the proverbial scripture is going to be James 3, verses 6 through 9. And it reads, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. 
So is a tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of these things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But get this, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison, verse 9. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude, the likeness, the expression of God himself. So according to James, as we all just read, the tongue is small, but it is highly dangerous. It has several characteristics. It is a fire, a world of iniquity. It defileth the body. It's full of poison. It's an unruly evil. It sets us on course to hell. Now, I find it very interesting that God took the tongue, he fenced it in with teeth, you know, 32, 20, 15, 12, whatever you got. <laughs> He's fencing in the tongue. And if that mechanism fails, he gave you a second line of defense, two lips, close them. Think about it. Think about it. Now, we're born of sin. We have a sin nature. So the tongue is used as a medium to express that very nature. See, in World War II, they considered truly the tongue as a weapon of mass destruction. Come on now. Now, our tongues can only be tamed by God himself because he said no man can tame the tongue. So God is telling us to watch how we use this deadly instrument. He is rooting for us to exercise constraint and to choose words that bless him and bless others. That's the good fruit we just uh, talked about earlier. Tell your neighbor, you are the no man. Because no man can tame the tongue. According to Strong's Concordance, tame in the Greek is a word called demasio. Now, demasio means to subdue and control. If you look up unruly in the Greek, it means unstable and restless. Several years ago, uh, my, my wife and I had a house. We lived outside of Dallas, Texas. And if, you, if you're from Dallas, you know, they go through these certain string of consecutive days where it's, it's triple-digit weather. and It's hot as you know what. I had a very nice lawn, corner lot, plush lawn. I mean, beautiful lawn. I was a landscaper. Beautiful lawn. And we woke up one day, and all of a sudden, we started seeing these circular holes in the lawn. Something's been digging in the lawn, you know. We didn't know what type of rodent it was. You know, people say, oh, it's a possum. Some people say, oh, it's a raccoon. Some people say, oh, it's a skunk. Uh, it's a big rat. I mean, we got all kind of stuff. So it got to the point where my, my, my wife was just like, she was upset about this thing. So she started researching how to get rid of whatever these rodents are. We had them in the front. We had them in the, uh, we had a pool and around the pool. We had them in the back, up under the fence. Because it happened at night, right? So you get up and you see all these holes coming up in your yard. So I come home one day from work, and she says, you take these mothballs and put them in the yard. So I crushed up mothballs, and we had mothballs all around our yard. I woke up, next couple of days, we're still seeing the holes. 
So the mothballs didn't work, but we had the cleanest smelling yard in the neighborhood. <laughs> right? So now I, wa- I want you to watch the progression of this thing. So then, a couple of days later, she comes to me and she says, <clears throat> she says, listen, I want you to put down some rat poison. All right, so I put rat poison in certain areas, not all over, in certain areas of the yard, around the shrubbery and stuff, closer to the house. A couple of days later, we're seeing more holes in the yard, all right? So at that point, it was the cleanest smelling yard in the neighborhood, but it was one of the deadliest yards in the neighborhood, (laughs) all right? So then, it got to the point where I felt, wait a minute, it's her against these rodents, because I come home a couple of days later, because we, f- we felt that they were digging for worms or for grubs, as they call them. So I come home a couple of days later. She said, look, I bought some plastic worms, some plastic-like grub things. I put some deadly poison pellets in them. Now I want you to bury these in the holes and put some around the holes. So we did this a couple of days later. It helped somewhat a couple of days later. We're seeing more holes. A couple of days go by. I go to work, come home, and she says, listen. I says, what? She says, I found out that the coyote, the coyote is a natural predator, an enemy to all these rodents. <laughs> so now I'm thinking, what has she got going on now? Come back the next day. She says, here. I said, what's that? This is some coyote urine. I said, what? <laughs> so now I'm in the yard putting coyote pee around the yard. <laughs> Helped a little bit. I'm just, now, who sells coyote urine? <laughs> true story. True story. Helped a little bit. But she still was steaming because she found new holes. Go to work. Come back a couple days later. I look in my yard. And now she's on her own and purchase some animal traps. So I got an animal trap in the front yard, an animal trap in the backyard. So then she found out, well, if you take some peanut butter and put some marshmallows on it and throw some honey on it and put it in the trap, you'll catch the animals. Sure enough, a few days later, she had her first skunk in the front yard caught. It was a skunk. Now we realize we know what it was that was digging holes. A couple of days later, she caught a skunk in the backyard. Now, here's the moral to this story. Y- y'all didn't know my wife had some Daniel Boone in her, did you? <laughs> the skunks, when they were caged up, they were wild, unruly, and p- unpredictable. So I-, I laid towels over each cage. Of course, I walked gingerly from the back. Laid towels over each cage. And, and, and what it did is that it, it concealed them, calmed them down, and they became more manageable. Watch this. God is telling us that our tongues are like those skunks. Our tongues are unstable, and our tongues are restless. And we need an intervention from him to help subdue and control this evil instrument called a tongue. We need his super with our natural. That's why God sent us a helper to help us stop from putting our foot, feet or our foot in our own mouths. Hmm? He sent that helper to help us to keep our own traps shut. Now, with his help, we can rule the tongue. 
Life can be poison-free when we recognize the power and the importance of using the tongue as he intended. Hallelujah. Now I'm going to point three. I'm rounding a corner. I don't know how much time I got left, but I'm going to get it in. All right. Uh, this is my last point. Defining moments turn thanksgiving into thanksgiving. Defining moments turn thanksgiving into thanksgiving. Last Sunday, Pastor Gregory asked us to start writing down uh, things we were thankful for or recording them before we went to bed. My wife and I were doing that. I was doing that. She uh, remarked to me that she felt that she was sleeping better. Uh, she felt she, when she woke up, she was more refreshed. As I was writing down, you know, current things I'm thankful for, even before that, my mind always takes me back to one moment in my life. And that's the defining moment I'm talking about when it turns thanksgiving to thanksgiving. Receiving salvation is a defining moment in our life. No doubt about that. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking, and, and if it hasn't happened to you yet, keep living. It will happen to you. I'm talking about something that happened in your life that, was, that, that, that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was nothing but the hand of God. He swooped in and he changed the course of nature on your behalf. He did something, and you're still looking back trying to figure out how did it happen that way. He delivered you from something. You, you pray for somebody, he delivered them maybe, but it's something he did, and from that day forward, it's like night and day. It's like you had a line in the sand, and you see things through your eyes, a different filter now than you ever saw them before. Well, I'm going to tell you about my defining moment. <clears throat> I think I've been released to talk about it now. Happened to me October the 10th, 2009 at 1.15 p.m. in Orlando, Florida. That was the day that Johnny Walker came face to face with Satan himself. Eyeball to eyeball, toe to toe, snot to snot. I was involved... In, in, in a horrific motorcycle accident. I was the guy uh, riding the motorcycle. Uh, I had a beautiful uh, Honda, uh, 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 Honda Eagle, American Classic Edition is what it was, a black bike, black motorcycle. When the fat boys, I had the, the full windshield in the front. I had all the light package. I had the leather saddlebags on the back you know, with the, 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 the little frills and everything. And Satan manifested himself in an 8,000-pound mangle of iron and steel and rubber and fiberglass. I was leaving work one, uh, one Saturday morning uh, at a half day, and I was riding the bike, the motorcycle. I decided not to go intentionally via the highway, but to just go the scenic route, right? Let me back up a little bit. 
you, you ever know where God, when God will have you go pray something and, and you pray it for a season and you don't know why you're doing it, but you're just being obedient? Well, three weeks or so before this day, it, it, was, it was impressed upon me so much that I just had to do it. I would go into, our, we had a business, I would go into the business a couple of hours early, lay prostrate on the floor, and I'm just praying in the dark, just praying, I'm praying in tongues, and I'm praying a litany of scriptures. Some of the scriptures, the very scriptures, begin to be repetitive. And I, I want to give you some of those scriptures I prayed for like three weeks going forward, and I prayed them that very morning. I prayed uh, Matthew 16, 19. Of course, always taking the keys of the kingdom, you know, uh, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, binding the works of the enemy, saying through the blood of Jesus, I'm delivered from the curse of the law, Galatians 3, 13. I'm delivered from poverty, sickness, and death, saying I break and remove myself from curses that cause accidents and premature death, saying I cannot be visited uh, with evil, Proverbs 19, 23, saying uh, uh, I put on the whole armor of God to withstand in the evil there. You know, I shod my feet with the preparation of the gospel of the peace. I girded my loins with truth. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. I carried the shield of faith, which was able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. I put on the helmet of salvation. I carried the sword, the spirit of the word, which is a sword, right? Then I'm say, I said, deliver my soul from death, eyes from tears, and feet from falling, Psalms 116.8. Then I was praying, uh, that no evil should come to me, nor any calamity, nor our dwelling, Psalms uh, 91.10. Then I would say, you know what, John 10.10, so Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So what? Jesus came to give me life and to give me that life abundantly. So I prayed these scriptures over and over and over again. So what happened? Let's get back to this accident. I'm riding a bike, and I have more protection on now than I had then. Because it was a beautiful day in Orlando, I got my shorts on, I got my muscle shirt on, you know. I got my, I didn't, didn't have a helmet on, which is legal in the state of Florida, but I had a bandana on. You know, I had to say, I'm cruising, you know, I'm cruising. All right, so all of a sudden, I'm going down three lanes, uh, 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 a three-lane road this way. You've got the median in between, and there are three lanes coming the other way. All of a sudden, and, and this was near... Uh, the Orlando Orange County Convention Center. If you've ever been to Orlando, you know all the activities happening at this convention center, right? So I'm just riding my bike home. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes a GMC Yukon. Now, we found out later that the guys driving the Yukon were from California. <clears throat> and they missed the first right-hand turn to get into the convention center. What they saw coming above was one of those quick turnaround lanes where they can turn around and, and double back to get this. The, 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 if they use any common sense, they would have realized there were additional entrances in front of them to get into the convention center. All right, they said they never saw me. So what happened? Now, again, I'm in the middle lane. There came out of nowhere in the lane to the right of me. So they saw the far left turnaround, and they made a beeline to get to that lane. The, the, what I'm going to tell you, the, the, the impact of all of this uh, should have been bone crushing. The, the force and velocity 
should have meant sheer and absolute death. Satan tried to kill me four times in the same time. So let me break that down. When he hit me on the motorcycle in my lane, Satan meant to, to, to crush me, run over me, and just kill me right there on the spot. That was the first time. I believe because I was so prayed up, and I would, because fear meant nothing to me at that point. Matter of fact, you know, there's always a couple of seconds before the impact happens. And you hear stories where people say, Jesus, Jesus, and miraculous stuff happened, right? Or they said some other descriptive words, which I can't say in church. <laughs> so I didn't say any of that. I said, you knucklehead. And that may sound strange to some people. There's a, a, a principle called the principle of double reference. Remember when Jesus uh, was talking to Peter and he said, Satan, get thee behind? Well, he was talking to Peter, but he was talking to Satan behind Peter. So when I said, you knucklehead, oh, I meant they were knuckleheads from California, but I also was talking to the knuckleheads behind him, which was or the knucklehead behind him, which is Satan. Now, Satan is a knucklehead, but I can tell you this. I give him credit. He's a persistent knucklehead. All right? So he tried to kill me the first time. So when I got knocked off the bike, and, and to this day, I don't know in what relationship my body was to the motorcycle. The motorcycle was total. I slid across the lane to my left on the hot asphalt in Orlando. Now, remember, we're in front of the convention center. I believe Satan meant to, the second time, to run me over with cars as I slid across that lane because he didn't make it the first time. I believe God had angels behind me that held traffic back. So when I slid across that lane, here comes time number three. He said, oh, you think you're smart. I'm going to get you this time. My head, and now think about this. It was like, like I said, it was like a cannonball shot out of a cannon. Whoo! And I didn't have a helmet on. My head hit the bottom of the concrete curb. Now, my wife said I got a hard head. I may have a hard head. It ain't that hard. So I hit that concrete curb, and I still believe that's the third time he tried to kill me. But God had an angel there that buffered me hitting that concrete curb. When I hit the concrete curb, from what I was told, I, 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 it flipped me in the air, and then I rolled, but I ended up in the median. The sheer force and impact should have propelled me in the three lanes or two lanes of traffic coming this way. So Satan's fourth attempt to try to kill me was with the oncoming traffic. I believe Jesus, though, and the Lord said, hold on, wait a minute. Had an angel that pushed me and kept me on that median. So you've got to know for yourself that there is a defining moment in your life when you know it was nothing but God that reached forth his hand and pulled you out of whatever that situation was. You give him all the credit. It wasn't the federal government. It wasn't mama. It wasn't daddy. It was nobody but God Almighty. You know that he changed the course of time on your behalf. You know that he intervened, and what does not make sense to you made sense to him. And I can tell you right now, every time I think about that day, 2009, and I think about 
all the things God has done in my life up until this point. Something else that happened. When, just before the impact, when I said, you knucklehead, it was, it was like the, 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 my spirit screamed to me, says that, that, that uh, uh, what do you say? It says that you will die, you, you, will, you shall not die, you will live, and you will declare the works of the Lord. Now, this was at 1 Psalms 118.17, I believe. This was 2009, and here I am today in 2016 declaring the words of the Lord and telling you, I'm giving you my testimony. Huh? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. I overcame by the blood of the Lamb, and I'm giving you the words of my testimony. Not because of anything I did, but because of everything he did on my behalf. Huh? That's that true love I was talking about. He loved us before we first ever even loved ourselves. Glory to God. Glory to God. Man, God is good. So there's got to be a moment in your life. And if you ever think about that moment, you see things through a different filtering system. Things look different to you. I think back, if I hadn't lived, I would never have saw, uh, saw my son get married. If I hadn't lived, I wouldn't have seen my daughter deal with some issues she's had to deal with. Hmm? If I hadn't lived, me and this woman would be working on 32 years of marriage next May. If I hadn't lived, I wouldn't be linked up. We're linked up. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. I don't even know where I am on time. Um, a couple other things happened. I need to get out real quick. Now, now, God was a very present help for me in my time of trouble. And I know I'm not the only one. I might be his favorite child, but all of you are his favorite child. So think about it when he was your very present help in your time of trouble. Now, there are a few things I want to say, so let me get it out real quick, because I think God taught me a lesson through all of this, and I hope that I, in turn, can say something that will actually affect some of you, especially men. Uh, where am I on time? Oh, man. I'll right, be real quick, real quick, real quick. All right. Um, during this time, uh, there were a lot of people that tried to assist and help me, all right? But male pride, I'm speaking to the men, became an issue. Um, um, my wife came to see me in the, in the hospital after all this kind of happened, right? And, and when you're sitting there in this, in the, in, and, and you got chunks of flesh missing and you, your body is going through excruciating rack with pain uh, uh, and, and your movement is confined, um, minutes can turn into hours, Right. So she showed up. Now, she then begins to describe to me how I look. I don't have a clue. So then she's crying. I start crying. The kids come in later. Two can come in the room. They're crying. I start crying. All right. So then later on, she said, your pastors are here. I said, what? Great. Who told them? See, male pride. See, I'm used to helping and serving people. I didn't want them to see him in that capacity. All right. But I'm saying this for a reason. Uh, and you guys may know my pastor at the time, Pastor David Blue and the minister Paula Blue. They had two young kids. They dumped the kids off somewhere and gave up everything to come deal with me in my situation. You see, Pastor uh, Gerby and, and Pastor Trish does the same thing. Huh? If they're not available, this man is our congregational care minister. He does the same thing. He drops everything, and he'll come there to be with you during your time of need. That is God sending a messenger for you to receive. I had certain people for the next six to eight months. You know, wanted to cook, uh, cook meals, 
uh, do a lot of different things for us. So God was sending me help, but my pride was, no, I don't need any help. And men do that sometimes. We shun help. We don't want nobody giving us directions. You know, we don't want to read instructions. You know, we got to stop all that, men. Let the women help. I got to tell you, if it hadn't been for her, thank God that he paired me with somebody that knows what's best for me when I don't even know what's best for me. Come on now. So then, I'm, I'm, I'm cutting it short. So then we had one lady, one lady that uh, called me, one sister from the church, uh, uh, Sister Gloria. And she said, I'm, I'm preparing a meal and dinner. I'm bringing it over. I'm taking the load off your wife. I said, you don't have to do that. And she was a sister that keeps it real. And she said, Brother Johnny, shut up. I said, what? I'm here sick. You're telling me to shut up? And then she said, I'm not going to let you mess up my blessing. I'm coming over to sow some seed. Genesis uh, 8.22, seed, time, and harvest. Okay, I'm done. I can say a lot more, but let me land this plane and give you my conclusion. Thankfulness should be a way of life for the believer, naturally flowing from both our hearts and our mouths. So let me conclude by giving you some lessons that I learned through all of this, which makes thanksgiving to me thanksgiving. First, partner with God to control the tongue. Second, be thankful at all times, in all times. Three, be sensitive to your spirit, man. He will prepare you in advance. Four, God has plans and assignments for all of us. Five, don't give into fear. The enemy is a knucklehead. Six, misplaced pride has no business in the kingdom. Seven, life's lessons are testimonies and can set others free. Eight, another's blessing can hinge on your cooperation. Nine, don't be embarrassed to show your stripes. And finally, 10, God is love and he expresses it in so many minute and simplistic ways. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Man, I hope you got something out of that because I still got another hour or two. Miss Deanna said, you think you got an hour or two. Glory to God. Okay, can I get you to bow your ears right now? We come to a special moment in time. Uh, I need no movement except for those that have been uh, authorized to move in the uh, sanctuary. A special time where people are making life and death decisions. I want to open up the doors of the church, as they say. Give some invitations. We spoke of earlier about salvation. If you have never asked Jesus to enter your heart, to be your personal Lord and Savior, you have that opportunity to do so now. So if you would, would you slip up your hands, please? The second invitation, if you have gotten away from the...